Well, good morning. I've got some bad news and some good news. Bad news is spring break's over. The good news is that spring is here though, right? And spring is here. The trees are budding. The grass is turning green, although that could be a little bad news. But uh, spring means Easter is just around the corner. And we are taking this time during the Lenten season to prepare our hearts for Easter Sunday and for the hope and the promise we have of life, life eternal, of grace, of a forgiveness that God offers. You know, as we were singing that, that song this morning, one thing remains, one thing remains, one thing is constant, and that is God's everlasting, unconditional love towards us. And that is an incredible promise that we have got to, to remember. And it's got to be embed, embedded in us at such a deep level that no matter what we're going on and what, what is, we're experiencing in life, we can be confident that God loves us. And that, as Paul says in Romans 8, that there's nothing that can separate us from his love. And so this morning we ask the question, have, have you ever found yourself in a place that you didn't want to be? Now, sometimes that, that can be of our own fault, is that we make decisions, we, we, we take wrong directions and courses, and we find ourselves in places that we wish we weren't at. But there's also those occasions in our life when we find ourselves in a place, not by our own doing, but because others have intended harm and evil upon us. And so we find ourselves in, in places like deep and dark pits. And we find ourselves in places like prisons. And, and that means so much more than just a, a, a room with bars around it. In the, in the prisons and jails of life, we find ourselves upon crosses because people have intended to put us there and people have intended to harm us. And oh, that we would remember that even in those moments, whether we are to blame or whether other people are to blame, that no matter where we find ourselves, that we can... Be assured that God loves us and that God is with us even at the bottom of the pit. And this is why Easter stories are some of the greatest stories that there are to tell. And what we're doing over these last weeks and in, in these weeks preparing for Easter is we're looking at some of the Old Testament stories that begin to point us and direct us to the possibility of Easter. Now certainly we have to confess up front that we read and interpret the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. That we interpret and see the Old Testament stories through the lenses of the cross and of what Christ has done. So as we study the Old Testament through those lenses, we can begin to see hints and foreshadowings of Easter resurrection and of Easter life and of Easter promises. We began that journey last week by looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac. And what we discovered in that story of Abraham and Isaac in, in that incredible test that the Lord put I, Abraham through is that what we discovered and God revealed to us in that story is that God will provide. 
And by Abraham and Isaac being faithful and obedient and trusting in each other and primarily trusting in their God, in the Lord himself, what they discovered was that a sacrifice had already been provided in the place that they were called to go. And we began to understand that as God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh, God will provide that as we look to the cross in the New Testament, that it's on the cross where God provides the ultimate sacrifice and forgiveness of our sins. That's an Easter story. And today we continue with the Easter story in Genesis chapter 37. It's a story that some of us may be familiar with, but maybe we're not as familiar as, as we need to be. It's a story of Joseph. It's a story of Joseph's tumultuous relationship with his brothers. In Genesis chapter 37, we, we enter into that story, and we and I'm going to catch up as you're turning to Genesis 37. I'm going to catch up as well. But as we turn to Genesis chapter 37, we discover and we, we enter into the story of Joseph and his 11 brothers. Anyone have 11 brothers? Anybody have 11 brothers and sisters? Well, there, was, there were some sisters, but there were 11 brothers Excuse me, at this point, there were 10 brothers that Joseph had. And baby brother Benjamin, I don't know if he was quite yet on the scene or not at this time. But Joseph had 11 brothers. That's quite a family. Now, if you know Joseph's story, if you read back a little bit earlier in Genesis, what you discover is that Joseph's mother, Rachel, was his father's um, favorite preferred wife it was the the wife that he loved and cherished if you remember that story when Jacob went to to find a wife and he met Rachel and he he fell in love with her and he went to her father and her father said well if you'll work for me for seven years then then I'll give you my blessing and so Jacob worked for seven years and he didn't read the small print because what the father meant to say was, well, you can marry my oldest daughter after seven years. If you want the, the next daughter, you have to work another seven years. But jo Jacob loved Joseph, Rachel so much that he worked another seven years so that he could receive the blessing of Rachel as his wife. And so as we enter into chapter 37, we begin to, to unpack and to see the relationship of the brothers from different mothers and what we discover was that, that Rachel was barren in those, those initial years of their marriage. And so Jacob began having these sons by Leah and by other women, the handmaids. And it wasn't until later in life that Jacob had a son through Rachel, that Rachel was blessed with the, having a child. And so Joseph was the son of the wife that that Jacob loved so much and, and he was the blessing towards the end of life that he felt like he'd been deprived of and Rachel had been deprived of. And so there was a great amount of love and affection that was poured out on Joseph and it was easy to see that Joseph was his father's favorite. And when we pick up the story in Genesis 37, Jacob has revealed and shown this love to Joseph by offering a coat, a beautiful coat. It's called the, the coat of many colors, the, the varied, color, varied colored coat that, that marked and showed all the family and all those outside of the family that this was the beloved and favored son. And the scripture tells us that even at this point, 
His brothers hated him, hated Joseph. And the scripture says in 37 verse 4 that they could not even speak a word of kindness or a word of grace towards their brother. They, they hated him so much. You see, when dad would send the boys out to guard the, to herd the, the, the flocks, you know, it was, an arid, it was an arid climate, so it would have been very, very hot during the summer months, and it would have been very, very cold during the winter months, and it was the older brothers that all got to go and to, to tend and care for the sheep while Joseph stayed home with his dad and, and had a special and unique relationship and learned from his dad in a very personal and intimate way, was chosen to kind of lead and administer the family in that way. His brothers despised and hated him. You can begin to see what hatred does, right? When, when you allow hatred to, to reside within you, it begins to churn and it, it begins to stir. And what is the fruit of hatred? The fruit of hatred is killing, is murder. And certainly we understand that, that killing and murder takes place in, in a lot of different ways than just taking the physical life. And so these emotions of hatred were stirring in these brothers towards Joseph. And it certainly didn't help when Joseph had a dream and, and he came to his family and said, hey guys, guess what I dreamed last night? One of these days y'all are going to all be bowing before me. It's not a really good way to rebuild friendship and relationships with your brothers, right? And so they continued to hate and despise their brother until one day, one day, the brothers had gone out and were caring for the flocks and had been away from home for a while. And, and so Jacob sent Joseph to go out and check on them. And Joseph finds his brothers, and the brothers seem from a distance. And they begin to talk among themselves, here comes Joseph, and I'm sure he's come to report on us and to tell on us and, and to go back and tell Dad all the things that we're not doing right. And as that began to churn and stir within them, they began to talk about, well, what if something terrible happened to Joseph? What if... An animal attacked him and killed him. They began to devise a plan and they were going to murder Joseph and, and, and cover his coat with the blood of another animal and tell their father he'd been attacked. And as the, Joseph got closer, you can just imagine the plan beginning to, to stir even greater. But two of the older brothers, one named Reuben, the oldest, decided that this wasn't really a good idea. That, that what we need to do is to put him in a, in a pit and, and we'll leave him. And, and the scripture tells us that Reuben was going to go back and, and, and rescue Joseph and take him back to his father. Kind of, okay, Joseph, did you learn your lesson? And so they throw him into the pit and it's interesting. They throw him into the pit and the, the scripture says that there's no water in the pit. I wonder if it's trying to let us know that they just didn't throw him in the pit for a few minutes. But that he, he was in the pit for a while and to not have any water was a significant part of this experience. And they'd stripped him and they'd thrown him down into this pit. I would imagine they roughed him up a little bit as he made his way to the bottom of the pit where there was no water. And Judah, one of the other brothers, looked out and the brother saw a caravan of traders coming, of Ishmaelites who would have been distant relatives they were coming along, and Judah hatched the idea, Hey guys, 
Let's make a little profit off of Joseph. Let's sell him to the, to the Midianites, to the Ishmaelites. And so they sold Joseph in that moment as he was in the bottom of the pit and they, they raised him up. And instead of being redeemed and rescued and forgiven, Joseph was sold into slavery. Have you ever been in the bottom of the pit? It was dark, wounded, cold, damp, or hot. There was nothing to drink. Maybe you put yourself in that pit. Maybe someone threw you down in the pit. Wondering where is God at in this moment? To have the potential for rescue be dashed when you come up out of the pit to be sold into slavery. How how do you deal with that? How do you reconcile that? Well, we'll take a peek at the end of the story. The end of the story is in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And the scripture says in chapter 50, verse 20, to the brothers, and we read this scripture earlier, what you guys intended for harm, what you all meant for evil towards me, God intended for good. Now, I don't think Joseph realized this when he was in the bottom of the pit, but over the course of a lifetime, As Joseph began to understand in perspective what God was doing in and through his life, Joseph was able to look back at this horrible and terrible point in his life when he was thrown in the bottom of a pit and presumably left for dead, and when he was apparently rescued only to be sold into slavery. Joseph is looking back over that period now and saying, what you guys intended for harm, God intended. God was using to shape and to mold in me for good. I wonder if some of us could say that and relate to that in some of the pits that we've been in and maybe the pit that you're in now. Could you have the faith that would say, God, I don't know what's going on here and and I'm not real sure how I got here and the, the future doesn't look really bright, but I'm going to trust that what others may have intended for evil and for harm, what even myself, the decisions that I made myself, have put me here that were decisions that, that are leading and shaping towards me for harm, I'm going to trust somehow that you're in the midst of this pit with me and that you are stirring and working things for good. I wonder if we could embrace that Easter story see, over a lifetime, Joseph began to understand that God was with him. And even when evil and and bad intent would come against him, he understood that if he would be faithful and trusting God, that God would not fail and that God would be in the midst of those circumstances, molding and shaping and forming good. Even as a slave in Potiphar's house, as Joseph was sold into slavery to the the Ishmaelites, and then was sold in slavery to Potiphar, who was Pharaoh's bodyguard, the general of his bodyguard. He was one of the, the top generals in Pharaoh's army. As Joseph was sold into slavery to Potiphar, Joseph, I think, began to believe that God was with him, that he could trust in God, and that if he would be faithful and obedient to God, that he would see God working out good. But even in those situations, as, as Joseph finds favor with Potiphar, as, as he serves Potiphar faithfully, as he is put in charge of all of Potiphar's household, and God blesses that, even in the midst of that, 
that change and that transformation in Joseph's life where everything seems to be going well, Joseph soon learns that even in those circumstances that there are still people out to do him harm and to do him evil. And this time it's in the form of Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife who begins to try to seduce Joseph. Potiphar's wife who begins to try to, to trap Joseph she begins to try to manipulate Joseph for her own pleasure. Yet Joseph remains true and faithful to his God and to Potiphar. And then the day happens when Potiphar is, is out of the area. He's, he's, he's on mission with Pharaoh, I suppose. Potiphar's wife gets all the other servants, has reasons for them to leave the house. And she and Joseph are alone. And this is her chance to once again to seduce Joseph and, and to lead him into an adulterous relationship. And she, she entices Joseph and she grabs at Joseph. And Joseph understands what's going on. And he runs away and he leaves. And as he runs away, she's grabbed onto his cloak and it's stripped off of him. And now she has his cloak. And Joseph is gone and she begins to to scream and to call out to the others to come and to help her that, that Joseph has been the one who's made these advances and Joseph is the one who has sought to have this adulterous relationship. And she blames Joseph for everything. And when Potiphar turn, returns home and she tells his story, Joseph doesn't have a chance, does he? And Joseph finds himself thrown in jail. But God... I understand when I was in the pit, I was, I was a pretty bratty brother, right? But I thought everything was going well now. And I was serving you faithfully, and I was serving Potiphar faithfully, and things were going well, and you were a blessing. And now here I am once again in a jail cell. God, why and how am I back here in this pit? Maybe you can relate to that. Boy, things seem to be going well. Things are going well in your work, in your, in your relationships. And then, bam, all of a sudden it hits. Maybe it's an addiction that's grabbed a hold of you. An addiction that's come out of control. And an addiction now that you wake up one day and you find yourself in the midst of this jail cell. Because this addiction has grabbed you and imprisoned you so much that it's taken and robbed everything from you. And Joseph finds himself thrown in jail for nothing that he's done except being faithful. Again, we go to Genesis 50, verse 20. What others intended for harm and for evil towards you, God, God has intended for good. And do we know how, how can we be so confident that, that what is happening here, that God is somehow in the midst of, that God is in the midst of, of shaping and turning what others intended for harm, that God is in the midst of shaping that into good? Well, I think there's a couple of clues in the Scripture. Go with me to Genesis 39, verse 2. 39, verse 2. 
When Joseph, after he sold into slavery, he sold into slavery to Potiphar. In verse 2, the story says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Well, I thought he'd just been sold into slavery. I thought evil was coming against him. The scripture reminds us that the Lord was with Joseph. And because the Lord was with Joseph, in verse 2, he became a successful man. He was able to prosper in the midst of that situation. And then we go down to verse 21. Joseph finds himself in prison, right? He finds himself in the pit again. But look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in verse 23. And the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph. And whatever Joseph did, even in prison, even in that jail cell, whatever Joseph did, the Lord made to prosper. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And Joseph understood that wherever he was, whether he's in the pit, whether he was in this, this relationship with, with Potiphar, this enslaved relationship, or whether he was even in jail, imprisoned, that he could know and be confident that God was with him. Because all around him were clues of God's presence in his life. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. And the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph understood that even in the most terrible and difficult of circumstances, in the most difficult struggles of life, that God was with him. And because of this belief and trust and faith that Joseph had, he continued to trust in the Lord. He continued to keep the faith. He continued to be obedient to the law. And he discovered that God took what others had intended to harm and to hurt him, that God would take that and reshape that and turn that into something good, something beneficial. Joseph found himself in pits. He found himself in prison. And yet he still discovered that God was with him during that whole time. As we move into the New Testament, we discover that the ultimate act of God taking what others intended for harm and evil and turning it into good, we discover that the ultimate act and example of that is on the cross with Jesus Christ. Matthew 27 begins that story in Matthew's gospel of Jesus being crucified. When Jesus is being crucified, we see the story of him being falsely arrested, being falsely accused and convicted. We see Jesus being beaten and scourged. We see Jesus hanging on the cross, mocked, cursed, spit upon, denied, betrayed, Jesus receiving the harm and the evil that was intended and brought against him. So much so that in the bottom of his despair, in the bottom of his pit, in the midst of his cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you been there? Have you been to that place? Have you been on that cross? Have you been in that pit or in that prison where you'd cry out, God, why have you forsaken me? What have I done? Why have all these people turned against me and intended harm and evil against me? And yet there Jesus was. Feeling forsaken, abandoned, at the bottom of his pit. 
But if you go and read Psalm 22, which is where this, this phrase that Jesus quotes from comes from, and if you'll read Psalm 22, what you'll discover is that Psalm 22 is a great psalm of hope and of possibility. And it certainly begins with this acknowledgement that when we're in the pit, when we're on the cross, when we're in that prison, that it certainly seems that we have been abandoned by God. It certainly seems that we've been forsaken by God, that the harm and the evil that others have poured upon us has overwhelmed us. But if you'll continue to read that psalm, that beautiful psalm, you discover that it's a psalm of hope of promise, of future. Again, as Joseph would say, what others intended for harm, God intended for good. On the cross of Christ, what others intended for evil and for harm, to do away with Christ, with Jesus once and for all, God used that incredible act of evil to bring the salvation and redemption of the world. Because God is with us in the pit. God was with His Son on the cross. Working good. Bringing about redemption and salvation to all. As Luke finishes up his crucifixion story in chapter 23, he quotes from Jesus again, Jesus quoting from another psalm, when Jesus cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is not the prayer of someone who has been forsaken and abandoned in a pit, in a prison, on a cross, right? This is the prayer of someone who understands that what was intended for evil, that God is in the midst of working good, and therefore in the midst of my agony, in the midst of my grief, in the midst of my pain, I can cry out faithfully and with full confidence and belief that God is working good. And God, therefore, I commit into your hands my spirit. I commit into your hands my life. I commit into your hands this place that I'm at in this pit, on this cross, in this jail. Because why? Because you are with me. Your love never fails. And on the cross, Jesus offers this beautiful expression of committing his life into the hands of the Father. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you find yourself in that pit, in that prison. Maybe you find yourself on that cross. And you don't understand how you got there. You understand that, that maybe there's some others who've come against you and they've overwhelmed you for a period. Or maybe you've just made some, some poor and terrible decisions that have landed yourself in this place. But oh, that today from that place on the cross that you would cry out and say, Father God, into your hands I commit my spirit and my life. And I entrust it to you because I know that you're in the midst in the process of working good out of this evil. Romans 8.28 that we read earlier speaks to this as well from the Apostle Paul. He says, he begins that in verse 26 when he says that the Spirit of God, 
hears our groanings, or in our weakness, the Spirit of God hears our groanings. In our weakness, when we're in the bottom of the pit, when we're hanging on that cross, when we're in that place of of being imprisoned, when we're at our weakness and we don't know what to say, the Spirit of God hears our groanings. And in verse 28, the promise of God is that in all things, God is causing, God is working out good in all these things. Whatever evil comes upon us, that God is in the midst of working all things to those that love Him, to those that that trust in Him, to those that cry out to Him, to those that would lift their hands and say, God, into Your hands I commit my life. And I give you my spirit and I give you what's left of this mess that I'm in. I want to trust you and believe in you and follow you. And God says he's in the midst of working good. And then he goes on in verse 29 and tells us what that good is. That good is that we would become conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ that we would become more and more like Him. Why are you in the bottom of a pit somewhere today? Why are you find yourself behind prison, in, behind bars somewhere, but in, in this prison cell somewhere? Why do you have this sense of being crucified and rejected by everyone? So that God can continue to work and move into your life to conform you more and more into the image of His Son, Jesus. If you'll just believe, if you'll just trust, That in all things, all things, all bad things, all evil things, all good things, that God is at work to bring about good for those that love Him and trust in Him. Paul goes on there later in that chapter and says, Who or what can separate us from the love of God? And the simple answer is nothing. Nothing can separate us from God's love. If we are in Christ, and if we'll believe and trust and follow after Him. So our Easter story concludes today with this question. Do you find yourself forsaken? Do you find yourself in a pit? Do you find yourself in a prison or on a cross somewhere? Will you believe? Will you trust? Will you call out to God? Will you commit your spirit into His hands? Trusting that He is at work molding and shaping good in whatever's going on. Will you be like Joseph that would look back over his life and say, You intended this for harm, guys, but because God was present and active, what you guys did is now the reason that you're being saved and will find salvation. Will you be like Jesus who on the cross and through His own forsakenness was able to look back and to offer the gift of eternal life and salvation to all who would come and follow after Him. Easter stories are into your hands, I commit my spirit stories. Is that part of your story yet? Is it part of your life? Have you experienced that Easter story yet? If so, let's continue to live out that experience of life and trust. And certainly we'll find ourselves in some pits and in prisons and, and maybe some crosses along the way, but we can be confident that God is present and working. But if this isn't part of your life story, if you haven't embraced and, and become a part of this Easter story, 
then today it can become your story as you would put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. I'll be here in the front to receive those that would, would want to begin that conversation. The altar's open for those that would come to pray. If there's a decision that God is stirring in your heart, you come and let's begin that conversation. But as we sing, let's be faithful. Let's respond obediently to what God is doing. Would you stand as we sing together?